Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Today we're going to continue our series on the life of Jesus with that purpose, again, not to get more facts about Jesus, but to love him more passionately and to follow him uh, more intimately and to obey him wholeheartedly. Let me set the context for our passage today. At the beginning of chapter 4, Mark tells us that Jesus is in Galilee. He's in the northern part of Israel. Large crowds were following him as they normally did. And this time, he was around the Sea of Galilee. These large crowds were coming. And so he got into a boat to speak to the crowds just out in the water. It says the crowds lined up along the shore and some of them even stood in the water. The water made for uh, 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 tremendous acoustics as Jesus, Mark says, sat down in the, in the boat and taught. Uh, it was not a rowboat, it was a, a larger fishing boat. He had at this point the 12 disciples with him. So there are gr 12 grown men in this boat and uh, Jesus, we think, had been teaching all afternoon. We know he taught four parables during that time. And so here he is having taught all afternoon from the boat, large crowd on the shore. The gospel writer Mark, or often called John Mark, was not one of the 12 disciples. Most likely, he got his eyewitness accounts from the apostle Peter, who was there with Jesus in the boat. And it's amazing today in our passage, the detail that Peter tells Mark about this story. Look at verses 35 and 36. Mark chapter four, verses 35 and 36. That day when evening came, so again, we're thinking that Jesus had been teaching all afternoon. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So here we have the situation where Peter wants us to know that Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. They did not go back to the shore to get another day of clothing. They didn't go back to get food or preparations. They went just as they were. They left. And some other people in boats who wanted to see what Jesus was going to talk about or where he was going, this often happened, they followed him. And so you have 13 disciples or 12 disciples and Jesus, 13 men in the boat and other boats following. Jesus taught so often around the Sea of Galilee. Here in this area of Israel, in Galilee, two of his three years on earth were spent. There he taught miracles, many, many miracles on the Sea of Galilee itself. His headquarters was Capernaum. Capernaum was Peter's hometown, uh, James' hometown, John' hometown, and Andrew's hometown. And so Jesus based himself out of Capernaum. The Sea of Galilee right here, as he says, they're going to go to the other side. They probably sailed this way and they ended up at this town right here. Now, it's interesting because as you see, the Jordan River uh, runs along uh, here on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, you have some non-Israelite territory. And so you have some people who are not Israelites. And so Jesus is going to go into that area 
and speak to these people who have not had the Old Testament in their, in their heritage. The Sea of Galilee is actually not a sea at all. It's called different names uh, in Scripture. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, uh, has uh, several names. But it's not really a sea at all. It's a freshwater lake. It's about 13 miles long and about seven miles wide at its widest point. It is located 30 miles east of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and it's 700 feet below sea level, below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. On three sides of the Sea of Galilee, there are mountain ranges, some of them as high as 1,500 feet. Normally, the Sea of Galilee is this beautiful, blue, calm water. But every once in a while, cool air will rush down from the mountains, will whip through the valleys and the gorges between the mountains and move out onto the Sea of Galilee and the warm water rising and the cool air coming produces violent, sudden storms. And that's what happened that night. Look at verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. A squall is this sudden and sharp increase of wind speed. It's always accompanied by a, a ferocious thunderstorm with lightning and thunder. It is loud. It is raining. The disciples started out in calm water. That was their expectation. And now they were caught in the storm of their life. The wind was kicking up the waves to the point that, it says in the end of verse 37, it was spilling into the boat so that they were nearly swamped. And what was Jesus doing all this time? Look at uh, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. This cushion would be a very, uh, not very thick, but a, a leather pad that uh, fishermen would sit on sometime in the boat. He used that for a pillow. In, in the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that Jesus is fully God. But in Mark's Gospel, he also wants us to know that Jesus was fully man. And here he is telling us that Jesus was exhausted. He went onto the boat, and it seems that as soon as he got on the boat and said, let's go to the other side, he had to find a place to lie down. And he fell asleep, and he slept hard. He was sleeping so hard that the noisy wind and the pitching of the boat and the stinging rain and the loud peals of thunder did not phase him one bit. All the while, the disciples were fighting for their lives in the midst of a violent storm. It may have looked something like this.
You didn't know they had video back then, did you? Very hard to come by. Four of the disciples were professional fishermen. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. This was not their first storm. This was not the first time they had experienced a squall on the water. But even these men, even these experienced veteran fishermen thought they were going to die. You know, when we trust in Christ, things change. It's not only uh, something that we, we do, we, we, we confess him with our mouth, but he changes our hearts and we feel something inside. We feel our chains are, are broken off. The great burden is gone. And there are sometimes new Christians with this tremendous start in their Christian life believe that it's going to be smooth sailing from here on in. And then they and everybody hits a storm, even mature Christians like these professional fishermen. Storms kick up in our lives, don't they? Sometimes when we least expect it. I know many of you are experiencing the storms of illness. You've not gotten some good reports of late. Things aren't getting better. Radiation, chemo, something came up again and the doctor wants to check it out. There's going to be another test, surgery. You know what it's like to be in the middle of a storm. Some of you are going through some family squalls. Marriage challenge, your marriage is hanging by a thread. Family feuds. Strained relationships with your children. This past Christmas for you was a tough one because there were those who you really wanted to be there that decided not to make the trip. Some of you are discouraged, even depressed. Your, uh, your emotions are flat. The energy's gone. Your desire for most things have been drained. Sometimes we know where that discouragement comes from. Sometimes it just comes. Suddenly, the storm. Some of you know the, uh, the storm of grief. We've lost a lot of people here last year at the Bible Chapel. And I know many of you in your families. Sometimes we go through spiritual storms. Things are going well and then we get busy. Business trip kicks up or some things going on with the kids at home. And we miss a time reading scripture here or there. Pretty soon it's a week or two. And then we start feeling distanced going through a spiritual lull, kind of disconnected, and doubt starts to creep in. We start questioning our, our relationship with Christ. 
See, storms come in all forms, but they do come. And, and like the disciples, we struggle sometimes. We struggle to keep our head above water. And you're struggling whether you became a Christian yesterday or 40 years ago. Storms are storms. And sometimes in the middle of a storm, we can be surrounded by a lot of people, but we feel alone. And we feel, quite honestly, that Jesus is asleep. And we begin to question his love and his care for us. That's what happened to the disciples. Look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples, notice it's plural, so not just one disciple went, but several of them went. You have to believe they shook Jesus awake if the thunderstorm and the wind wasn't causing him to wake up. He was shaken awake, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you what? Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care that we're going down. Do something. I think that some of us, somewhere on our journey, maybe it was early in Sunday school, someone taught us that you cannot have an honest conversation with God. When you pray, you have to pray these kind of religious words. Uh, you have to pray in this way. Um, you, you really can't open your heart and be honest with God. You can't, you can't tell him what's on your mind as if he didn't already know. And, and I honestly think our... Uh, our ignorance or our, our refusal, our misteaching or whatever, uh, the, whatever causes us to not be able to speak honestly with God causes us to live distanced from Him. In storms or not. I mean, let's face it. Do you really want to get close to someone you can't be honest with? That's, that's what a friend does, isn't it? A friend someone you can go to and say, man... I'm having a really crummy day. I need to unload on someone. And thank you for being my friend because you're it. When we don't feel we can be honest with someone, we kind of keep them distanced. And sometimes we're taught, you can't be honest with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Not only the disciples... But this man after God's own heart called David. Turn back with me to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm is the Israel's <clears throat> hymn book and prayer book. And David wrote so many of the Psalms. David was a man after God's own heart. God himself said that. But David was far from perfect. And I often ask that question to myself. With David's failures and David's fall, and sometimes you read David, I was talking to one guy, it almost seems David's schizophrenic sometimes. One day he's praising God, and the next psalm he's, he's telling God to crush all his enemies. He's a warrior. David is an interesting man, a warrior and a musician, all wrapped up into one, an artist and a soldier. 
And David is a man after God's own heart. I think for two things. One, when he falls, he comes back in repentance. And two, he's a man after God's own heart because he is just flat out honest with God. One example of that is Psalm 13. I don't know what's going on in David's life. We don't know. Only the superscript of the psalm just says it's, a, it's for the director of music, a psalm of David. Sometimes the superscript will tell us David was hiding in a cave or whatever. But here he doesn't. But something's going on in David's life. Listen to what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O God. Give light to my eyes or I'm going to sleep in death. The boat is going to go down. My enemy will say I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. And we read that over and over in the Psalms. David is honest with God and we can be too. The disciples were honest with Jesus and we can be too. And let me tell you this. I don't know what the cries of your heart is going to be, but I can promise you this. God can handle it. He can accept it. And he can work in your life. The disciples, several of them, shaking Jesus awake, saying, don't you care if we drowned? Here's how Jesus responds. Look at verse 39. He got up rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Quiet, be still to nature and nature obeys him. The word be silent or quiet literally means be muzzled, be muzzled. Mark writes as if Jesus is rebuking a great raging sea monster. Be muzzled. Shut your mouth. Some commentators say that Jesus is speaking to the storm as if there was a demonic force behind it. And that could have been the case. We don't know that cause of the storm other than the nature of the wind whipping down the mountains. But here's what we do know. The storm obeyed him. Quiet, be still, and the waves shut down. Remember when we studied through John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 in our Christmas series, and we said that Jesus was not just that little baby that came in a manger, although he was that. He was the creator of all things. Paul told us that and tells us that in Colossians chapter 1, for in him all things were created. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, for the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and what? For him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Quiet, be still, and the storm stops. Here's a physical demonstration of that truth that he holds all things together. We know what was going through the disciples' minds later on, but we don't know exactly what was going through their mind right when Jesus said that. Maybe these guys who had grown up in the Jewish faith, had known the Old Testament, maybe 
a psalm like Psalm 89 came to their minds. Psalm 89, 89 says this, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. And when its waves mount up, you steal them. After he calms the storm, Jesus speaks directly to his disciples. Look at verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Notice he doesn't say, why were you afraid of the storm? He just says, why are you so afraid? Why, why does fear have such a grip on you? Do you still have no faith? You know what he's asking? Do you still not know who I am? I am with you in the boat. You remember when we set sail what I said? Let's go where? To the other side. We're not to the other side yet. Do you still have no faith? Look at verse 41. The disciples are no longer afraid of the storm. They were terrified of this man, Jesus. They literally feared a great fear. And it wasn't a bad fear. It was a fear of worship and adoration and awe. Who is this, they said. Rhetorical question. This is God. God is in the boat with us. Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's the healthy fear of worship. You know what? God's in a boat with you. He's right there with you. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he is asking us that same question. Whatever our storm is, why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm going to get you to the other side? Every gospel is written for a purpose. And Mark, often called John Mark in scripture, writes his gospel to Christians in Rome who are facing the prospect of persecution. And so he includes stories that are going to encourage them as they face some really tough storms. And Mark is saying, look, persecution is on its way. But Jesus is right there with you. If your property is confiscated, that's a storm. But don't fear, Jesus is there with you. If you have to go to death, don't fear. Jesus is right there with you. He is the storm calmer. So sometimes we read these stories that Jesus calmed the storm and we take the automatic application that, okay, I'm in a storm, so Jesus is going to calm it, all right? This illness I have, he's going to heal me. The marriage situation I'm going through, he's going to bring it back together. The job situation, he's going to, he's going to bring another job my way. The kids, they're going to come back. And sometimes he does, right? 
he still heals people physically today. Uh, he does restore marriages. It's a miracle worker. He does bring kids back home. And sometimes you lose this job and you think, what am I going to do? And then boom, a week goes by, you get another call, you get a better job and you say, oh, now I know why. Sometimes he calms the storm. Not always. Sometimes the illness is never healed. I don't know why some are and some aren't. I don't get it. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the divorce papers still come. Sometimes the kids don't come back home. Sometimes you go months without a job. Sometimes he calms a storm. Other times he calms us. And in the midst of that waiting for a job, in the midst of those papers before you, in the midst of your heart crying out for that strange child, in the midst of the illness, he's still there with you. He's right in the boat. If he doesn't calm the storm, he'll calm your heart. And he'll allow you to face whatever you have in front of you. Always with the purpose. Always to make you into the man or woman that he desires you to be. This uh, past Friday, we had a memorial service here for Ingrid Knudsen. Uh, Ingrid's been in our church probably for a, a couple years now. Interestingly, Ingrid uh, grew up uh, just caddy corner across the street uh, where Lori and I uh, live today. At the end of last February, she learned uh, she had cancer. And uh, it was an aggressive kind. And by the time they caught it, it had spread. And so uh, this past year, it's been a tough year, tough year. The summer, uh, she was baptized. And so we love capturing testimonies on the, the video uh, before the baptisms and um, we were able to play that at her memorial service. Um, Ingrid is the last of four daughters and uh, her older sisters are quite a bit older than her and when she was eight or nine years old her dad got cancer and died and, and it was tough for her as an eight or nine year old and she says in the video my dad was 50, and I was like eight or nine, and he died. Now I'm 50, 51, and I have a nine-year-old daughter. And then she says, surely God wouldn't do this twice. She was in the middle of a storm. We don't always understand how God works, do we? But we know this. God just grabbed her heart, and with all she was facing, he calmed her heart. Many of you ministered to her. Laura Ankrum, who leads our women's ministry, had tremendous ministry with uh, Ingrid. And here's what Laura said. She said, I recall praying with her one Sunday, after, right up here after church. She loved the Lord and had the faith of a child. She understood the gravity of her disease and she wanted to live. Yet she also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that her days were in God's hands and that she could trust him and that she could trust him 
with her future. She never exhibited a fear of death. She only wanted to make sure her family would be okay. Sometimes he calms a storm. In Ingrid's case, he calmed Ingrid. He calmed her heart. You see, there are really two questions when it comes to trusting Jesus with our lives and our future. The first question is this. Can you trust Jesus? Emphasis on trust. Can Jesus be trusted? Has he demonstrated himself in a way that he can be trusted? Well, the answer to that is yes. Theologically, we can say, my goodness, for sure. Look at scripture. Look what he does. This is God in the flesh. He can be trusted. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. That's the theological question. We got to deal with that first. But then the hard question comes. Here's the second one. Can Jesus be trusted? Yeah. Can you trust Jesus in the middle of the storm? That's a hard one. Can you trust Jesus in the middle of the storm? Can you allow him to say, you know what? I don't know if you're going to calm the storm. But I'm trusting you to calm my heart and prepare me for whatever you have for me. Because I know it will, even if I don't understand it, it will always be for my good. So, um, two weeks ago tomorrow, uh, Lori flew uh, to Oklahoma uh, to be with her mom. Her mom had uh, taken a turn for the worse. We learned on the Sunday before and uh, her kidneys were shutting down and uh, Lori needed to get there. And uh, the whole family was there on Monday. And on that day, uh, Lori's mom actually was feeling pretty good. She was alert. And uh, the hospice uh, came in. And it was a hard time as they described uh, to her mom what would be happening over the next day or hours that her body would be uh, shutting down. And uh, they wanted to make that process as natural as possible. And those are certainly hard things to hear, uh, whether you're the one, her mother, or the children. Um, a visitor came in later, and again, having heard the news, Lori's mom was still fairly alert at that time. And the visitor was talking to him, and they were talking about some different things. And the visitor, not knowing what was going on, said, um, so when do you think you're going to be going home? And she said, well... I'm not going back to my house, but I am going home. You see, sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his child. Father, thank you for the fact that you're always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Whatever boat we're in, however the waters are raging around us, you are right there and we can look in your eyes and we can trust you. The God of the universe who loved us so much that you came to this earth and died for us on the cross. Thank you for calming storms and thank you, Father, for calming our hearts. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.